Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome back to Daily Duff Differently. Today's Duff is Yoma 26, Kafavav, and my name is David Wise, Rabbi at the Holosils Jewish Center. Much of this second chapter of Yoma, Perak Barishona, has dealt with Pais, the lotteries that were conducted to determine priestly assignments for sacred work in the temple. We begin today's Duff with a Mishnah that records the third and fourth daily lotteries. Hapais Hashlishi, Chadashim Laktor. The third pais, those who have never offered the ketoret, the incense, hold out your fingers. And as for the fourth, both veterans and newbies are eligible for the lottery to see who gets to transport the evarim, the limbs of the slaughtered animal, from the ramp to the altar. The Gemara opens its discussion of this Mishnah by asserting that no Kohen ever got a second experience with the Ketoret because there was always someone who had yet to play that role. Why not let a Kohen win this lottery twice? Because, says Rabbi Hanina, it was like winning the lottery as we know it. It brought that Kohen wealth. What's the source of this, the Gemara asks. Could it be from a juxtaposition of words in Moses' farewell blessing in Deuteronomy 33? If so, we could also assume that the olah, the burnt offering, which is alluded to in the same verses, should also come with a one-time-only restriction. No, says the Gemara, because the olah was a regular event, but the ketoret was a rarity, a bigger deal. And that must be the case, because if the ketoret was a regular event, and whoever got to do it got rich, all Kohanim would be rich. And clearly, they aren't. Having referenced Parshat Vezot HaBracha and Moses' blessing, the Gemara briefly digresses and moves to the subject of tribal lineage and wisdom and the association between the two. Amar Rava, Lo mashkacha tzorba merabanan demore ela daati mishevet levi o mishevet yisachar. Said Rava, you will not find a member of the rabbinic community who can teach authoritatively, who doesn't come from either the tribe of Levi or the tribe of Issachar. What about the tribe of Yehuda? asks the Gemara, based on a verse in Psalm 60. Doesn't that tribe produce authoritative scholars? What I was talking about, says Rava, is the ability of a scholar to bring an issue to its proper halachic conclusion. Now this passage has vexed commentators for generations. It should be no wonder that the Gemara would ask why the tribes of Levi and Yisachar should get Rava's applause and not Yehuda. The tribe of Levi, both Kohanim and Levim, dominated the realm of Temple Judaism, not post-Temple Rabbinic Judaism. And the tribe of Yisachar was said to have been lost to history with the first exile in the 6th century BCE. 
<laughs> most Jews of the Talmudic era, like in our days, are assumed to be descendants of the tribes of Yehudan Binyamin. Who exactly does that leave? It seems to me that Rava's assertion is a necessary extension of the rabbinic interpretation of Jacob's final blessings to his sons, the fathers of the tribes, at the end of Sefer Breshit, the book of Genesis. There, Yisachar assumes the burden of what the rabbis project to be learning Torah while subsidized by the economic efforts of Zvulun. If Yisachar were destined to master Torah and Torah is in the process of being mastered, then Yisachar could not have disappeared entirely. There must be a remnant. And how can you identify a descendant of Yisachar? Well, he's the one who can apply his learning to the proper halachic conclusion. What follows is a discussion that turns on the grammatical gender of pronouns. The question is, who got to participate in the afternoon korban tamid? Rabbi Yochanan said that whoever won a job for the morning tamid won it for the twilight tamid too. But, says a baraita, there was another pais at twilight. What could that have been for? The katoret, it is answered. Then the Gemara notices that we've got an extra pais thrown in. The Mishnah says there were four. What's with this fifth one? No, they conclude. Both lotteries were held in the morning. What was to happen later was simply determined earlier. Jumping to the next Mishnah, near the top of Amud Bet, we learn that the Tamid involved anywhere from 9 to 12 Kohanim, with the varials being Sukkot, when we had a tenth, Twilight, when we had 11, Shabbat, when we also had 11, and when Sukkot and Shabbat coincided, then we had 12. The extra job on Sukkot was to bring water for Nisuchamayim, the water libation that would serve as a reminder of how precious water Rainwater, especially, was to the land of Israel. Sukkot, of course, is the time we begin to get nervous about water. And that's why we watch our willow branches dry out during the course of the seven days of the festival. The Gemara tells us that Nisuchamayim happened only during the morning, morning tamid. The source for this is a baraita that describes Nisuchamayim gone wild. The Kohen who does this job is instructed, Hagbayadecha, raise your arms so that we can all see that he's doing it properly. Because one time, Nisech al Raglav. One time, a Sadducee Kohen, whose sect rejected the need for this ritual, poured the water on his feet instead of on the altar. Now, when you consider that the phrase may raglaim, literally feet water, is a euphemism for urine, you can imagine the symbolism of the Sadducee's action. The ultimate disrespect to a community's ritual is to pish on it. And in anger, Urgamuhu kol ha'am be'etrogehen. Everyone assembled pelted this wayward Kohen, the Sadducee, with their etrogim. Now we know that this took place in the morning, because that's when everyone had their etrogim with them. One wonders how they retrieved the etrogim after the stoning, but that's not in the Gemara. 
The Gemara does continue with other matters triggered by the Mishnah's mention of Gizrei Eitzim, the branches for kindling, and why we need to Kohanim to schlep them. There's also a Baraita that tells us that anywhere from 13 to 16 Kohanim would participate in the Tamid, maybe even 17. Let's just say there was plenty of work to go around. Finally, on our daf, we have one more Mishnah that tells us how many Kohanim were involved in communal sacrifices. It would take 11 to take care of an ayil, a ram, and 24 to deal with a par, a bull. And then the Mishnah tells us how many Kohanim would deal with each body part. Great stuff. However, when it came to a korban yachid, an individual's offering... If one Kohen wanted to do it solo, he was welcome to. And the Mishnah's final point is, The flaying and dismembering of both communal and individual offerings share this in common. What's the this? That a czar, a non-Kohen, may perform them. We'll look more into that tomorrow on the Daily Daf Differently. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.